In this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, I don't drive to Wales in a car because I'm already there! Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I don't know if you can hear gravel underfoot as I leave my great friends Carol and Steve's house in Conwy, North Wales and drive to Rill where I'm going to watch the British Grand Prix with, I don't know, a hundred thousand people actually at the circuit which is an incredible thing really given the situation that was a cattle grid I just went over with. I'm going to close the window so it's not quite so distracting yes welcome to a special on location edition of Gareth Jones on speed I've been up in Wales for a week now I came up on or rather over from London last Sunday left London and drove to Porth Cowl in South Wales. That's why I said over. I went west rather than north to my part of North Wales, which is where I normally find myself heading when I've got a car to review. And I've got a car to review. It doesn't sound very interesting when I tell you what it is, but it is actually a genuinely interesting car. The car is a Hyundai i30 premium and this is the bit where it gets interesting because you know Hyundai yeah we know what Hyundai do they do a good job i30 yeah good solid hatchback in the sort of golf focus class okay but not necessarily super interesting but there's no N after the i30 now that's where the N becomes interesting you know the N the performance sub brand that Hyundai use now it's not an N it's a 48 volt mild hybrid and it's those last three bits 48 volt mild hybrid which turned this car from being what's probably a perfectly good car into a really interesting car the engine is a three-cylinder petrol turbo it's tiny trying to think what the last three-cylinder car I drove I used to own a car with a three-cylinder engine a long time ago. I had a Suzuki Cappuccino with a tiny, tiny, tiny 660cc three-cylinder turbo. And this car is a turbo, three-cylinder, but it's of one litre in capacity. So it's more useful. You know, it's carrying a bit more body than a Cappuccino. And it's assisted by... A mild hybrid drive. Now, mild, what are they trying to tell us here? Well, what's all this about? Well, it's a hybrid, but it's a hybrid that can't run purely on electric drive. The electric drive is only electric assistance in this car, and more importantly, energy recovery. I may have said this on the programme before, but I almost don't see any reason for any petrol engine car or some diesels not to have energy recovery these days. We understand energy recovery so well that it seems an absolute travesty that when you roll down a hill 
you're not collecting that extra energy and storing it to reuse it under acceleration when you need it. So really all cars should be hybrid. Now there's a downside to hybrid and that is if the additional weight of all the hybrid onboard stuff like your motor, your battery, the electronics and the charger if it's a plug-in hybrid. Does that cost you more energy than the energy you save in recovery? But it's not always about energy, is it? it's about emissions as well. So there are other benefits from having a drive system with energy recovery. And this car is a very good example, in my opinion, of we often over-engine our cars these days, most of us. We like to have performance in hand, don't we? But as you know, if you want ultimate performance, you add lightness, like Lotus did. And this car, because it's only got such a tiny three-cylinder engine and a tiny battery, I don't know what the exact capacity of the battery is. I will look it up and find out later. But compared to a regular hybrid, this car has a small battery, just enough to recover a bit of energy from braking and rolling downhill and delivers it when you need it. And when do you need it? Well, if you've got a three-cylinder engine, you might want your energy recovery system, the hybrid electric drive, to cut in under very low revs to stop the thing from stalling, to give the engine a chance of providing enough torque to carry this vehicle up a hill, for instance. And you've also got the benefit of that electric drive, because it all goes to the front wheels. You haven't got electric motor on the back wheels. The motor drives the front wheels. It's a front wheel drive, five door hatchback. And the electric motor also drives that system as well. So there's no drive to the rear wheel. So it's not sort of a temporary, occasional four wheel drive car, which is another great thing you can do with hybrids. Now, it just assists the drive. You know, threes are, of course, less refined than a four or a five or a six or an eight, right? Or certainly a 12. They're gonna buzz and dingle, aren't they? Zingle, zingle. You kind of get that little buzz from a three-cylinder engine. That's quite intoxicating, actually. It's a really nice sound when you can hear it. Because the most shocking thing about this car is that most of the time, you just don't hear it. Okay, let me turn the AC off. Right, you've probably noticed how much quieter it is now. I know I'm only rumbling along at 20 miles per hour over the bridge over the River Conway at the moment. But let's see if we can hear this engine. I'm going to shift down to second. Throaty little grumble, 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 grumble. And when you load it up, it doesn't get much louder. You've got to really load it up so you can hear that engine. And I think that's probably because the electric drive sort of smooths out some of those vibrations. It helps that engine go round with less bangs. Do you know what I mean by that? And that's the, one of the other bonuses of a mild hybrid system is that it smooths out refinement, it gives you refinement. And therefore, this car is a lot quieter than you'd expect it to be. It's not quite, you know, Lexus levels of hybrid quietness, but there again, Lexus don't have any three-cylinder 
cars at the moment, do they? So it's an unfair comparison. I'm just going around the roundabout and see if we can hear the motor. Here we go. You know, it's there, but listen, the indicator, it's a lot louder than the engine. I am, I have to point out, driving it at the moment in eco mode. There are three driving modes for this car. Eco, normal, and sport. And if you drive around in eco, it prevents you from slamming your foot to the floor, and it prevents you from overworking the engine, and then therefore stopping this car from being as efficient as it can. Normal mode is perfectly good. Actually, to be honest, I find eco mode perfectly good for all traffic driving. If you're in town, or on a motorway somewhere where there's a lot of traffic and no one's particularly accelerating or deaccelerating quickly, eco mode's great. You never hit that sort of stop, that, no, I'm not gonna accelerate any harder. You just go with the traffic. But as I go on the slipway onto the A55, let's go to, let's get a sport mode where the dash turns red. Looking for a gap. I've got a small section of this a55 at 70 miles per hour then it slows down to 50 when we get into colwyn bay so i'm doing 70 now just changed into fourth gear it's a six speed car so you do spend some time fiddling around with the gearbox finding an appropriate gear but nowhere near as much as you might expect because the electric drive is often there to help you out at low revs and there have been occasions right fourth to six there have been occasions when i've driven this car around in second and third and i realized oh my gosh i'm doing 40 and i'm still in second i should change and the engine wasn't yelling at me it wasn't screaming at me that it was being overstressed because the electric assistance was there i suppose and in sixth gear it's in no hurry to overtake You've got to change down for that, but that's kind of to be expected. Six gear is your cruising gear, isn't it? So, yeah, yes again, Hyundai have come up with another really well-engineered car. And I've got a theory about this. As you know, Hyundai have got pretty extensive experience now with hybrids. The Ioniq, not the Ioniq 5, that new electric car, but the original Ioniq came out a few years ago and it was in some ways and i don't think this is unkind to say this a clone of the world's most popular hybrid the toyota prius but it was more than just a sort of a forgive me korean knockoff it was a brilliant piece of matched engineering Do, does everything that the prius does and in many ways looks slightly better as well the prius is a bit science fiction i think the ionics a good looking car so yeah hyundai have been doing hybrid stuff for some time now and I've got some experience in it so they're rolling out that technology across many of their other cars for all the obvious benefits that come from running a hybrid system and I think they've done it really well here often when I review cars on Gareth Jones on speed I tell you my initial reaction to the car I get in the car and I say no oh, so I notice at first because I think that first few minutes experience is really valid with a car but I've had this car for a week before I've started to tell you anything about it and that's 
because I've been immeasurably busy, immeasurably busy. As you know, in August of this year, I'm going to swim from South Wales to North Wales, over 60 kilometers of swimming across lakes, reservoirs, and rivers to celebrate my 60th birthday. So I've just spent the last week driving through Wales, looking at all the locations I'm going to swim, working out how I'm gonna do it, where we're gonna put the safety boat in and get it out and all that kind of thing. And I did the whole thing in, uh, I'm gonna turn the AC on because it's hot again, woohoo. Um, I did the whole thing in this car. So I have driven from Porth Cowell up through the centre of Wales, all the way up to Conway, and then back down to Pembrokeshire. Yes, I have got my foot on the brake and I'm slowing down because a car just pulled out in front of me. I was aware of it, thank you. Forgive me, anyone who's actually driving around in the car at the moment, and might even be a Hyundai, they heard that beep, 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 they thought, well, there's nothing around. It was me on the podcast that made that noise. So I drove all the way up to Conway, then from Conway back down to Pembrokeshire, then back up through Mid Wales again, then all over Snowdonia, and then back down to Snowdonia for some more driving. So I've driven this car on some amazing roads. You know, Snowdonia, driving, incredible. And I drove it in sport mode for all that, and it was never found wanting, really. There were occasions where I might want to pass someone who was going at a reasonable pace, but I didn't quite have the guts to fly past them like you might do in a proper sporting car. I wouldn't say this was a sporting car. It's got adequate performance, good performance, actually. Good performance, but it's not urgent but it's useful, completely workable and thrifty. Let's have a look. Average fuel economy over the period I've had the car, over the thousand miles I've driven around Wales in it in the last week, 45.8 miles per gallon. It's pretty good for a petrol car, isn't it? It's not the sort of 50s and 60s that you might expect to get from a diesel, but it's a petrol car and it's been deeply satisfied for that reason I mean it was a lovely thing and again when the traffic did get a bit busier in Wales and I was in a queue like I am now doing 50 eh, just pop it in eco mode or normal mode and it's a really stress-free car I think yeah, that's one of the bonuses of this car it's one of the highlights of this car stress-free the electric drive adds to that refinement creates a quiet environment makes it a very calm car to drive in. And this leads me to Hyundai's next big project, which is to launch their upmarket Genesis brand in Europe, which is happening now. Have you seen that car that they're calling the Hyundai... Sorry, it's not called a Hyundai, is it? It's called a Genesis... Is it G70? The key thing is shooting brake they're creating a car called a shooting brake now by my definition it's not a shooting brake because it's got five doors and I think a proper shooting brake means three doors so it's, I'd call it a sporting estate but my gosh it's a cheeky yes I know there's an F pace there it's a cheeky looking thing and it'll have tremendous performance because they're putting some good engines in that car. Can't wait to get my hands on one. We know that Albert Bierman, who is in charge of engineering at Hyundai, has made some great cars with the N, their performance brand, and that engineering is trickling down to the other cars. And it will trickle over, in my opinion, 
to Genesis as well. So Genesis will be more than just, well, they won't, yes, I know, stop giving me warnings every time we change the lane, I can see cars, I'm allowed space. <laughs> you can turn those off, but you never know. It will trickle over to Genesis, so those cars won't be sort of just big Hyundais, will they? They will be well-engineered cars, and that's what you pay for when you go for a premium brand, your Mercedes, your Lexus, your Jaguar, your BMW, you want better refinement, you want better engineering, you want better performance, you want better plastics, you, that's really what you're paying for, a genuine step up. And I'm certain that Hyundai have the capability of doing that now, maybe they didn't about five years ago, but they're learning really fast, aren't they? I did mention the, yes, I have got my foot on the brake. There's a, a Porsche Macan GT in front on Dublin plates, just come over from Ireland in cherry red and black trim. Oh, that's a car I wouldn't mind having some fun in. And I was talking about Hyundai's, not Porsches. Hyundai, have you noticed they've got some really great grills on their cars now? The Genesis cars have got some good grills, but so is this car. Look it up, look up now if you can, if you're near an internet as they say. Look at the nose on the Hyundai i30 Premium and look at the way the slats in the grille work. A lot of cars have very ordinary slats, right? They have horizontal grille with vertical elements to it as well. Some have diagonal mesh, you know, kind of a Bentley vibe. But this car, it's got a very interesting grille where the angle splays from the centre. It emanates out from the centre, giving the car a very different sort of nosy quality to what it would have if those lines were just a straight grid. And that's really good. Also, look at some of the other Hyundai cars. The Kona, the Kona Petrol, has got a new grille, which I think is fantastic looking. And the new Kona Electric has refined the nose. They've made it prettier than it was when it first came out. One just passed me, by the way. A Kona Electric on electric car plates, you know, green band down the side. Not sure what purpose those green band plates serve other than to let you know it's an electric car but who needs to know that and maybe i've missed something i'd be interested to hear your reaction to that i don't quite understand the reason so yeah hyundai have got some nice styling great nose work interior perfectly good you know you know all about the i30 i've driven the i30n both versions the original one and the facelift version and the interior absolutely solid pretty much as good as anything Ford do in that sort of focus class probably more interesting than a Volkswagen Golf not that I've driven any recent Golfs but I do I've said this over and over again I do like what Hyundai do because it's not about the brand do you remember I used to drive a Toyota Sora for 20 years before I sold it, 19 years say. and that car was a Lexus it was sold as a Lexus in the United States and in Japan for a long time they didn't have the Lexus brand it was all Toyota so they sold that car as a, a Toyota and 
I bought my car in Japan, bought it back to Brit because I wasn't a badge snob. I didn't want a car that said Lexus all over it. I wanted a car that was built like a Lexus because, you know, they were trying to achieve something, weren't they? They were trying to do what Mercedes did. And that was the first Japanese company to attempt that. And they do it very, very well. It's taken Lexus a very long time to assert themselves as a brand to earn that cachet and they're very close now and of course it will take Genesis probably 20 years to do that too but this car you know Hyundai is not a sexy badge is it what do you drive I drive a Hyundai okay that's what people might say so any kudos that they earn is strictly on ability and how good their cars are nothing sexy about the word Hyundai is there but the cars are really well put together and I'm very glad this car has been such a faithful ally for the last week I'm actually driving back to London on Wednesday in it and I will have had this car for some 10 days that's much longer than I often get to enjoy a car for tests so I can say already I've given it a rigorous bashing this car and it has not come up wanting apart from two things two 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 mysterious things one the default drive mode is always eco so whenever i start the car it's in eco mode and that's fine because you usually start in town don't you unless you're in wales in the countryside and i haven't quite worked out how to change that so when you turn the car on its default mode is normal or even sport i'm sure there's a way using setup i'm going to go through the parameters now just in case i've missed it setup on the dash uh vehicle setup driving convenience cluster climate lights door no none of that is anything to do with what mode it starts up in so who knows maybe it is possible if it isn't possible that's annoying if it is possible and i haven't worked out how to change it simply that's a little bit annoying these are all tiny things and the other one was that i've had tire sensor warnings happen twice on this car where it's been trying to tell me please check your tire pressures tire, and you have to pull over a garage check the tyre pressures which are all good and then press that reset button to store the correct tyre pressures that you've put in and twice it's decided no there's something wrong and it did that under fairly ordinary circumstances when I was dribbling along an A road at 55 miles per hour in mid Wales so it's not as if I just bumped over some gravel or perhaps over a speed bump or a curb which might have changed the pressure of one of the tyres it was none of that it was under normal circumstances so that happened who knows that could be a tyre seal on the wheel thing nothing to do with the sensors whatsoever and the other thing that was slightly bugged me on one occasion the screen went black for my in-car entertainment and nav and I don't know why it did that and I couldn't work out how to get it back but after a restart when I stopped at petrol station started the car again it all came back now whether I had found a button somewhere which says turn off this screen and didn't realize or it had actually failed temporarily I still don't know 
So it's the mysteries of this car which are slightly annoying. But come on, those are minor things and they're probably user things and nothing to do with the design of the car whatsoever. So maybe I'm speaking a little unfairly of this lovely little car which is in a very interesting colour by the way. Have you seen the colour of the picture? Have a look at the colour of the car in the picture for this episode. It's a sort of a bronze really, a sort of a brownie golden bronze and it's quite a mature, sort of premium colour. It reminds me of the brown that you used to be able to get a Ford Cortina Mark IV slash 80 in. There was no Cortina Mark V, it was called the Ford slash 80. Um, that sort of tawny, I think Ford called it. It's not quite tawny, but it's just a lovely, lovely colour. It really is. It's got a unique colour. I have to say the car is completely covered in dust at the moment, so I have to get it cleaned before I send it back to Hyundai because it's got half of Wales on it at the moment. It really has. <laughs> okay, so that's it for this part of the programme. I'm about to pull up at my friend Steve's and watch the British Grand Prix there. And then I will be back to talk about the British Grand Prix and how sprint qualifying, or was it called the sprint race, or was it called just the sprint went, and what effect that had on the race, and what it's like having live motorsport with a live audience here in the UK again. It's a glorious Sunday afternoon in real North Wales. I'm driving around in my nice quiet Hyundai, having just watched the British Grand Prix with my good friend Steve Allen-Jones, member of the on-speed band, and on the phone, on the speakerphone in the car right now, another member of the on-speed band, and so much more. Zog, hi man, how are you? Hey, not bad. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good. How are the back roads of North Wales? Fantastic. I've done not only the back roads of North Wales, I've done the back roads of Mid Wales, South Wales, West Wales and Snowdonia at least three times this week. It's been glorious. It's been a great pleasure and not too much traffic, so I've been able to genuinely enjoy it. Did you enjoy the British Grand Prix? Yes. Fantastic. You know, we've seen some great races from Lewis Hamilton in the past and again, we've got a fabulous dramatic end to the race getting past the crowd just in the last couple of laps and stealing back victory after the drama early in the race and on the whole you know the weekend worked out well i think the sprint race gets a cautious thumbs up yeah, what did you reckon? Well, it's all about that penalty for Lewis. I guess the fight back, Lewis's fight back, really good. He's very good at that. He got a bit of assistance from Bottas. Of course, that's going to happen. But the whole thing kind of revolves around, did Lewis deserve that penalty? And I don't think he did. I think it was a racing incident because looking at the car footage, the in-car footage, Lewis got inside of Verstappen and then to be fair opted out you know he was trying to move backwards and that's when it went wrong so I would describe that as a racing incident I think Lewis was trying to avoid an accident there and failed so he got his 10 yeah. seconds which was unfair but the fact that he then came back and was able to win the race sort of evens up the situation for me would you agree yeah I mean it's it I think that probably was a very close call. I mean, I mean, the first thing to say is obviously that 
if he hadn't got the penalty, if they just said, okay, it's a racing incident, no further action, then we'd have just had the same result, Lewis winning the race, but without the drama of the last few laps when it wasn't clear whether he'd get past the track. You know, yeah. Um, if it had been a penalty, Lewis would have run away with it. So the point of view of getting a, of having a, an exciting race, it was a good thing he got the penalty. As to whether it was fair or not, honestly, I can't be wrong. Because my first thought, as soon as it happened, I thought, well, I really want to see a couple of replays of that to figure out whose fault it was. Yeah. Then like you, when I saw the replay from Lewis Hamilton's point of view, yep. It looked to me like it was Verstappen's fault because it looked to me as if Verstappen had moved across front of Hamilton's car yep. and Hamilton hadn't been trying to run him wide or anything like that. On the other hand, yeah, things are happening very, very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly in that moment and in that corner. Yeah, there's no room for any error. It's centimetres between, you know, nice clean move and disaster. Yeah, it sounds to me like you agree with Christian Horner's viewpoint on this. That that's not a place, they're going far too quickly, this is a dangerous place to be putting a wheel up the inside. But that's part of the risk of Formula One, it's supposed to have an element of that about it, isn't it? Yeah, it's a racetrack, you know. Yes, <laughs> indeed. You know, it may be a tricky corner to overtake on because of the speed there, but it's a reasonably wide corner on a racetrack, you're allowed to overtake there. But also, if you're going to overtake there, you have the responsibility to do it cleanly and safely. Yeah. If the stewards, you know, having looked at it in detail, felt that it was Lewis's fault, uh, yeah, in the end, I think they're probably right. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a very, very, very fine judgment. And maybe the fact that they only gave a 10 second Yep. yep, as um, opposed to a position loss. Yeah, yep. Just how close the position was. Yeah, because in the end, the fact that, you know, it, it certainly didn't seem to me like Lewis was being, you know, in any way reckless. You know, up to the point where they came together, I thought the two of them were, you know, giving a magnificent display of skillful, hard, respectful racing. Yeah. You know, it was two drivers at the top of their game fighting hard in what they knew was a critical stage of the race. Lewis probably just judged it a little bit wrong in that moment, in that split second, and as a result, Verstappen was out. It's reasonable that Hamilton gets a penalty in that case, but it's also reasonable that it doesn't ruin his race. Yes. The fact that he's able to come back yes. and win is a credit to his skill as a driver and to Mercedes as a team. Yep. Yeah, so in the end, it's a tragedy for Verstappen, because to have had the two of them fighting tooth and nail for the whole of the race rather than just for the first lap would have been a treat. I described the race on Twitter to someone as a bit like a sort of a classic British cucumber sandwich where the middle bit was arguably the least interesting part of the thing, you know what I mean? We had a good start with a good end, but the middle was a bit cucumber sandwich. I actually, for the first time in ages whilst watching a Grand Prix, I had a 10 minute nap. I must admit, I lost a few laps. And oh, good grief. Yeah, it's very unusual. So, yeah, I mean, there are other circumstances. I've had an intense week of, 
enormous physical activity. It's incredibly hot here in North Wales. And I just drifted off into a lovely summer afternoon stupor for a little while. But also, you may notice the atmosphere, the sound has changed slightly. That's because I've pulled over rather than drive around. I can't drive around with the windows closed. It's just too hot here in Sunny Rill. So I've pulled over, got the AC on and got the windows open to try and improve my temperature quality and also the record quality, hopefully, for this part of the programme. I'm sure you've got a lovely view from whichever little lay-by you've pulled into. Yeah, I've, I've actually pulled into... I'll tell you this, you'll appreciate this. I've pulled into the car park at the Talardi Hotel in St. Asaph. Now, St. Asaph is the town where I was born, but also my rock and roll career was born here. This is the place where I played my very first gig as a bass player, as any musician, in, uh, I think it was 1977, when I was in a band called Backseat. So, yeah, a very important place for me. A completely off topic. So you're about to, to go and stick a blue plaque up on the uh, <laughs> on the venue. So uh, I should do this. I'm yeah, going to make a blue did. plaque. A That's a great um, idea. Listen, let's talk about the build-up to the race because what do we call it? Do we call it the sprint? Do we call it the sprint race, or do we call it sprint qualifying? Have they decided on its official title? Uh, I mean, I've been calling it the sprint race because you have qualifying on Friday, it may be a different kind of qualifying, but it's qualifying, then you've got your sprint race on Saturday, and then you've got your Grand Prix on Sunday. And going into the weekend, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I was very open-minded about this sprint race idea, but, you know, you tinker with formats at your peril, and it's just as easy to end up with something that's gimmicky and silly and doesn't work than something that actually adds to the event. I mean, maybe it's easier to screw it up than to prove it. And, you know, I thought the previous format, you know, or, or the current qualifying race format, works well. So, yep. you know, yep. you take a risk when you mess with it. But for me, it worked. You know, it meant that we had more action and more entertainment over the weekend, basically. And that surely is the objective. It didn't make, in a sense, a huge difference to the positions that everyone started in on Sunday. We had a starting grid that was very similar to the starting grid of the sprint race but we had a bit of a shake up there which is surely what you want that race to do yeah now what we had was a little bit more of the downside the fuzzy end of the lollipop for Perez in that he made a mistake and it cost him dearly that's good isn't it bringing that double well, jeopardy yeah, back it is, I think it is good you know, it's tough on Perez who I'm a fan of as a driver but it doesn't seem to be a bad thing that you have this sprint race if you're going to have some other thing in your race weekend format something like this where you have a quick race that gives teams and drivers a chance both to take advantage of other people's mistakes and to capitalize whenever another team or driver is not doing their best capitalizing on opportunities you know but also you've got a chance to screw things up to make a mistake and if you don't do your job properly it's going to cost you in the race on sunday i think there might actually be a very real need for that as well zog because since the introduction of runoff areas with tarmac surfaces or bitumen macadam surfaces allowing cars back into the race historically if you made a mistake in formula one you were beached and out of the race so that element of jeopardy has already drifted away from a lot of circuits in formula one and mm. to 
bring the jeopardy back by you know uh, there's another stage before you can sort out the position for the start of the big race where you have another chance to mess it up brings that jeopardy back i like that yes apart from it's like you're good with maths you'll understand this question i hope so apart from the random factor where we lost perez how significant was that shake-up of the difference of the starting positions for the big race was it like a five percent or a ten percent change okay i'm going to say confidently that you need quite a complicated definition yeah. of what you know what yeah. your percentage difference is yeah. before you can give an answer to that yeah. Yeah. so i'm not going to answer it <laughs> <laughs> yeah apart from that one big deal it was just a fairly minor shake-up yeah you, know, you yeah. had the Schaffen jumping Hamilton and stealing pole back from him yep. another couple of drivers I think Alonso notably were able to make up a few places and got themselves further up the grid I think it's too soon to make any confident ground statement about whether sprint race format is a good thing or a bad thing you know, it's a cautious thumbs up yeah. First time out, looks good. It seems to have improved the weekend a bit. But let's see how future events go. See, you know, so far I like what I see. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It didn't make it any worse, did it? That's the thing. Don't do anything that's going to make the patient worse, they say. And a change which is either neutral... Yeah, or a change that is either neutral or will throw up the possibility of further changes is quite a good thing. And it did. It got my attention. I mean, I've been immeasurably busy this week and I wasn't able to watch the sprint race live yesterday because I was swimming across a lake in Snowdonia practising for my big swim challenge. And I have to focus on that because it's inevitable. But I did know that I could watch it on channel 4 immediately afterwards on their online demand service so as soon as I got back to base I was able to watch it I didn't know the results and I really enjoyed having something on a Saturday to watch in addition to qualifying that I've already had on the Friday and that was extra value for money from Formula 1 but the one thing I would say about the sprint race was that it was potentially too long 100 kilometers wasn't it 60 miles 62 miles 17 laps and most of the action happened in the first two laps so why not make that sprint qualifier simply four or five laps that sense of the final shuffle here we go i mean my first reaction to that is four or five laps just isn't enough it would just be too much like i don't know just a (laughs) like qualifying when there's a bunch of if you're going to add a whole other stage to this weekend I think anything less than half a dozen laps is a little bit too Mickey Mouse I want to see a bit more running time than that I think 10 laps is about the minimum for me that it would seem worth getting the cars out on track for yeah 10 maybe maybe a dozen laps it didn't seem too long to me but I can absolutely see the argument for yeah you're going to achieve most of what you'd achieve with a 17 lap race with a 12 lap race if you think about it there are penalties in the sprint race because if you can improve your qualifying position from the previous quality session by four places great on the start you know but if near the end of the race you're thinking oh is it worth me risking passing this one guy just for one place better on the grid for the big race you might take Mm. a conservative approach so it throttles racing once that initial hurly burly is over from the start which is why i advocate a shorter race but maybe you're right maybe 10 might be more like it i wonder if they're going to mess with it in any way they probably will won't they well i'm sure that 
at some point this year they'll have a very careful look at the race distance and the format there. Obviously one of the things they're trying to do this year with just having the three events where they have the sprint races is to see how it works. Yep. So I'm sure it's not going to be an all or nothing internal proposition. Either we're going to do this sprint race thing in exactly this way or we're not going to do it. If they have a think about it, have a talk about it between the teams and everybody else involved, if they decide that yeah, we like this, but actually that race is a bit too long, we want it a bit shorter, that's what they'll do and that's what they'll change to next year. So yeah, let's see what happens. Let's have a quick uh, talk about some of the other drivers today because there were, yep. uh, apart from Bishapan having a tough afternoon and will be ruining lost potential results, Leclerc was a bit unlucky I thought. Yeah. You know, leading for so much of the race, but having a little bit of engine trouble, maybe he'd have been able to hang on to it if they yep. hadn't had the little niggles that they were having? Ferraris have won at Silverstone on a number of occasions. They often go well there, fairly high-speed circuit. And I think if Leclerc won today, the Silverstone crowd would have given him enough respect, I'm certain of it. And that, I agree. That, that yeah, would have yeah. been great in some ways. Yeah. But the fact that Lewis did it was crazy entertainment. But sorry, I don't want to talk about Lewis. We talked about him. Well, <laughs> Since you have mentioned it, yes. that cheer when he overtook Carl. We I, heard I mean, it. You know, that's a, I mean, I, you know, it was wonderful to hear that. Yeah. You know, we, we haven't had that. You rarely get that kind of reaction. Even at other big motor races, you don't often get the same kind of crowd reaction that you get out of a Silverstone crowd yeah. when a British driver <laughs> takes the lead of the race yeah. with a couple of laps to go. Yeah. It's going to be one of the biggest cheers in motorsport. But yeah, but it was wonderful to hear that. And how fabulous would it have been to have been in that crowd at that moment to yeah. share that moment of joy? A quick mention uh, for the lead. a quick mention for Perez, who oh made a bit of a mistake but had a reasonable claw back, and again Vettel had a sort of an unforced error weekend and I don't want either of those two things to happen I want Perez to hold on to his drive at Red Bull and I want Vettel to find his mojo but it seems to be coming and going doesn't it well Perez I think he had a bit of a tricky weekend but he's also was showing a lot of speed that we know he has in coming back up through the field from starting in the pit lane and Vettel well let's see how the rest of the season going there have been real signs of him getting his motivation back this year. Let's hope that continues. Yeah, he was a bit lackluster today. But we should mention that his teammate, Stroll, had another one of his occasional actually really good races. And he made up how many places? Four Eight, no, eight, he made up yeah. eight places. We may take the mick yeah. out of him. He had a really solid race there, didn't he? Fair play. Yeah, doffing the hat to him. Fair play. Yeah, now, that's it. British Grand Prix over. In your opinion, were there too many people there? Not socially distancing, Zark? A short answer? I'm not an epidemiologist. <laughs> I'm not a public health expert. <laughs> it's lovely to see crowds back in those numbers. I'm quite sure that when you get that many people together, even in the open air, when we've got the Delta strain circulating as it is you know that event is undoubtedly going to result in a bunch of people getting covid that would not have otherwise got covid yeah 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 i don't know what numbers are but if a couple hundred thousand people have a really good time at the weekend and 20 of them get covid and are terribly sick that would be a pretty good trade-off i pulled those numbers just out of the air yeah 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 the same time that i love seeing the people back it does make me a little bit nervous seeing that people together again it was a super 
British Grand Prix. Let's hope it's not a super spreader event, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I yeah, mean... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, Zog, listen, I've got to wrap this show up now because I've got to go into something else incredibly busy. But I just want to flag up something for you and our listeners. The next episode of Gareth Jones on Speed will be our summer music compilation. That will last for three weeks and it will cover the period in which I'm doing this swim across Wales throughout August. And then towards the end of August, there will be an episode of the show that Zog you're going to make without me yes uh, yes we're going to do uh, another show while you're off gallivanting around <laughs> wherever you're gallivanting around yeah and there will be much gallivantisation going on there is water in Wales yeah yeah in the wet stuff mostly most of my time my head underwater so thank you I've only missed two shows in 400 and something episodes over 16 years so I think my credit is probably good with the rest of the team I hope you do a bit of time off yeah good to catch up this afternoon enjoy the summer yeah enjoy the summer everybody enjoy the summer music compilation he's been Zog goodbye and I was Gareth and yeah see you at the end of the summer when in theory I've swum across Wales and Formula One has returned after its break see ya to send us an email see pictures get song lyrics join our Facebook fan site follow us on Twitter or to find out about sponsorship opportunities go to garethjones.tv Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed, Speed.